ethos in, in society in general, which is very like everything happens for a reason. And I've always thought everything happens for a reason is a really toxic sentence. another episode of no books on a dead planet if you are anything like me you know that the climate conversations are happening somewhere out there with all the smart people and you're kind of sitting in there being like should i join in should i not what would i even talk about um, so this series is about me trying to picture life on a planet without books I can't, can't even compute it. Not gonna happen. I refuse to let that happen on my watch. Um, so I'm inviting lots of amazing, incredible people onto the channel to make me read the books about climate that I am terrified to read and have those imperfect missing pieces conversations about the climate and try and make sense of it somehow. Everybody is welcome. This is a book club where you don't have to have read the book, but two people who have read the book, because we are Hermione's, is me and Michelle. Welcome, Michelle. Hi, thank you so much for having me on. <laughs> and yes, I am exactly that kind of person. This is officially the first book I have read on climate change, and that's awful, but it was for the exact reason that I felt stupid talking about it, so I didn't particularly want to read about it. And you were perfect. I was like really hoping that you would say yes to come on. Not because you're somebody who I intuitively knew hadn't read climate books, because to be honest, who knows who those people are, but more because you are incredible. You're one of my favorite non-fiction authors. If you haven't, um, if you're thinking that Michelle's name sounds familiar, it's because Michelle Elman uh, is the author of loads of books that I recommend on this channel, one of which being The Joy of Being Selfish. Um, and you are so emotionally intelligent when it comes to these kind of conversations that are awkward, that are hard to navigate, where there's no good or bad people, there's just a lot of information and how to filter it. So I was so excited that you agreed to read a book with me. So thank you. Well, I'm glad you asked me because it's one of those things where it just goes on a to-do list of like things that you're like, I should get round to learning how... I don't know, even stuff like politics overwhelms me sometimes. And like, I am mm. the kind of person who gets overwhelmed and shuts down and just is like, yeah. okay, that's going in a box that's never gonna be touched. And as the book says, and many books say, and I know this is a thing that a lot of env environmentalists say, just like a small difference will make a big difference. But then mm. there's the element of the people, or, or the group of people who are very extreme and you just get scared off by that. And so you kind of just like, don't even want to dip your toe in when actually like yeah also this being quite a short book was actually the perfect book to dip my toe in yeah it is actually probably the shortest on this series so far it was really incredibly short to the point where even i was reading an ebook and i thought i still had loads to go and then i realized about 60 percent of the way through it just turned into sources like most of this book seems to be sources and index at the back which i love from a research perspective but also as a reader i love because the book was over way sooner than i thought it was going to be did you find that i've got the physical copy and it's a small book and i carry small handbags because like big handbags i can't carry because i have like chronic pain in my shoulders it's the first book that's fit in handbag. And so I was carrying it and also I could actually, even when I was doing small journeys, so like my gym is like 20 minutes on the tube away, I could read a whole chapter in one journey, which just from a dyslexic yeah. perspective, cause I'm also a dyslexic writer, like yeah. it's so accessible, which it was like, it was just the perfect book to start off where it was like, at no point in this book did I feel intimidated by the writing or the content. And I think sometimes, mm -hmm. even if the content's not intimidating, the writing is at such an academic level that like, and I've done a university degree, but I don't find it fun to read 
academic reading. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, and it's still not my forte. So to f find a book that was accessible and humanized it, actually, I think this mm. was the perfect book for us to talk about because like, I never considered the environment in terms of like, so the main thing I'm, I'm focusing on at the moment is like communication within my work and mm. my content. You never think about the fact that actually you need communication when working with like political leaders and things like that. And yeah. that was the one of the things I thought about while reading this book was like, actually how you, you know how like in re romantic relationships you're like, it's how you say it, not what you say. Like, yeah. actually it's the same thing with environment stuff, mental stuff. And if someone had spoken to me differently about the environment, would I have been more open-minded about it and not felt like I was being judged as soon as I tried to do anything? Yeah, totally. And I think that's, again, it's like we think of the experts as like just robots who are just churning out facts and doing the right thing. But they're also flawed humans with their own baggage and their own trauma <laughs> and like making sure there's environments for everybody to communicate properly. And you're right about the university degree thing as well, because I always feel a lot of intimidation and shame around that, because I know there was a point in my life where I could read an academic text and understand it, but it is a muscle. And if you don't use it, it goes. And I literally don't know what's happening a lot of the time when I'm reading like big physical books and also it's it kind of making it makes me chuckle to think of like the massive big tome like climate books as being like ableist i'm like it's too big <laughs> how are we supposed to carry these things around <laughs> what's going on it's also just like the general principle that go then seeps into publishing of like if you use the fancy words if you use the big words and like the mm. number of times in my university degree i got told you're not a good writer if your english was better you'd get a better mark and i was like i'm doing a psychology degree i'm not doing a degree in english like stop judging yeah. My writing and so it's funny because then you become an author or like I became an author and everyone's mm. like oh help me finish my dissertation I was like not the same you thing like, you misunderstood <laughs> yeah I was like my dissertation got written in the last week it was due and it was not good I cannot write <laughs> academically but I can write in very simple English how to set boundaries for example yeah it's not the same I, I don't know what it's kind of like I don't know, asking a crime writer to like embalm a body. It's like, I, yeah, okay, I work in death, but like not that kind. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> very different. Um, so yeah, I um, wanted to ask you if you'd heard about this book before you picked it and why you picked it. Because basically when people come on, I give them a long list of books that I w want to read or part of me wants to read and part of me wants to avoid forever. And I get them to pick which book. So you pick this book. It's a short one. That was definitely part of it. Why else did you put it? That was definitely part of it. I won't lie. <laughs> and the other part of it was the subtitle, which, mm. okay, I, I'm, I'm singing the praises of this book. I don't yes. understand how the t subtitle fits in. I thought you would say that because I felt the same. And I actually did a little bit of research and I've realized that since they published your edition of the book, they've changed the subtitle. The subtitle was, in your version, Climate Justice, a man-made problem with a feminist solution, which is a great subtitle. And then now it is Climate Justice, Hope, Resilience, and the Fight for Sustainable Futures. <laughs> so this is an acting ploy. Yes. It's a lie. It's not really about feminist solutions. This which... was written on the book so that I buy the book. It worked. Yes. And I read the book and I was like, I picked this because I was like, how does feminism come into... Envi the environmental stuff and I was like and the first few chapters I actually thought oh I can see where this is gonna go mm. and then it didn't go there and it was just how I would describe this book was like a collection of 10 stories individual stories of how 
uh, climate change has affected individuals with an overarching message that we should talk to the people who it affects the most. And that's how I would summarise this book. Feminists (laughs) can't mention a single point. Yes. And the, the first three or four examples are women who are working at a grassroots level within their communities to make change. But there are also some men. <laughs> and I was like, who are welcome, but unexpected. <laughs> but so, because the first three were about how basically women who didn't have any experience in be- being a leader or all of that stuff, then mobilised themselves to create change in their tiny communities, I thought the stories mm. were going to lead to... And this is how you can do it in your own or like why there's a certain difference with a feminist point of view or something. And I think until I, when I got to like the fourth story, I was like, oh no, this is just a bunch of stories. They're, they're very short articles, aren't they? Yeah, but I quite, I, I quite like that. And it did have a good message. It was just, I found the subtitle a bit mis- misleading. It was how small stories fit into big stories about climate change that's kind of like how it how i'd describe it there was a point that i was trying to rectify the the subtitle and see if i could find stuff that was actually about feminist stuff so there was one part where constance who is like basically a small-scale farmer from um eastern uganda and she talks about how domestic violence is on the rise and one of the reasons is because um, women have to travel farther and farther to fetch water and firewood. Some men do not understand and beat their wives if they spend too much time away from their homes which is a point but I'm sure there's lots of other stuff and, and that was a great I think reading about Constance's story was so interesting but I think there's probably a lot of other stuff that wasn't in the book but. there was to me what I was also expecting was like an epilogue that would like draw to the subtitle and be like and this is why it's feminist to kind of justify yeah. the middle um, and even that wasn't there and I was like oh like because you know how sometimes like sometimes you have it with a title in a book as well and then the introduction will explain the title or like the epilogue will be like and this is why I chose the title or whatever but like in less obvious ways there wasn't even really that but again I thought that the Constance's story was the same in that I learned within that story that the majority of farmers are women which really yes. shocked me and I was like I, I did not know that because just I mean, maybe this is me gender stereotyping, but like, because men stereotypically are bigger and stronger, mm. you would think that they would do most of the manual labor. But I guess, yeah, I don't know what jobs that leaves for then the men. I don't know either, but I think there's there's probably some kind of historical patriarchy there. But then maybe it's it's something that I'd love to read more about. I kind of want to just take the parts of the book that I didn't know about and go and research those further rather than the whole thing. I agree. Um, and I think also there was interesting stuff in her story about how there's a lot there was for a very long time when the climate was changing really rapidly in her area lots of people were attributing it to spiritual stuff so like God was punishing them they hadn't appeased that was fascinating to me because also that really reminded me of this whole like we have an ethos in in society in general which is very like everything happens for a reason and I've Mm. always thought everything happens for a reason is a really toxic sentence and I hated it personally because I had a lot of surgeries growing up and because everyone kept saying that like in a way to say like you you can make something good out of your surgeries I took it to mean I did something to cause my surgeries and so when I read the book I was like this is why everyone needs to stop saying everything happens for a reason because within the book what they basically say is like they thought that they had done something wrong and God was punishing them with the weather and 
Like, that just breaks my heart because I was like, mm. it's not your fault. You didn't do anything. I mean, even as a country, it's not your fault because it's the de- like it's the developed countries and you can't control what they're doing. Yeah, it's kind of like we need to replace that in a vocabulary with something like every effect has a cause <laughs> or like, every, you know, dominoes. Um, so it was, in- it was interesting, but also heartbreaking for to her to talk about how she went to a, a climate conference and learning all about the real causes of why her her land was changing and why her village was changing and then having to go back and explain um and then the villagers i've the villagers confused asked constance whether the people in other countries around the world who were causing the pollution would come to their village to help constance knew better than to promise the relief of strangers from afar i told them um that i didn't know but instead we should just try and help ourselves and that again i was just like that does make sense if you hear that strangers who are very far away are causing it you're like all right then they should probably should get on a bus and and dig in like come on i couldn't i don't know whether it was constance's story or another one where she said like i feel bad blaming other people for it because we are of one blood and i read that sentence Mm. i can't remember the exact quote should i find the exact quote actually yeah do it because it's that thing of like they seem to have a different and like understanding of of personal responsibility which i I think is healthy but also probably not it was constance's story so she said um i learned that over pollution from develop development i learned that over pollution from developed countries had caused real changes to the climate she later recalled i felt bad because i knew that the people in developed countries are our friends we are the same people we have the same blood and not to be cynical but i read that sentence and all i could think of is uh, would the developed countries look at you in the same way? Like, that mm. sounds so bad, but it's it's kind of true that, like... Yeah. There is this, like, dismissal of anyone who's in a, like, third world country where it's almost not real, and you kind of see it in, like, how um, wars are discussed. Not to make it, like, really political, but, like, you saw the increased level of compassion for Ukraine compared to other countries. And I read that sentence, and I was like, God, it breaks your heart that, like, she has so much compassion... And like, sorry, but I have to, I look through everything through a psychology lens. So I just like read that sentence and I was like, she has so much compassion for developed countries that is likely not being reciprocated. And she probably isn't aware of that because she just looks at people through a compassionate lens. And it's hard to then communicate that and uh, and communicate that to to people who aren't reciprocating that compassion and be like, you owe this to people. This is something that you owe. And I think as well, like something the book does that is interesting is when we talk about like, I, I think there's a lot of narrative around the climate where it's like, are we going to live or are we going to die? And it's like, well, what do we call we? And also there is there are lots of spectrums of success, whereas in like if we keep it, keep warming below two, like a certain amount of things happen. If we keep it below 1.5, a certain... And it's not that everybody's lives will incrementally get better or worse. It's that literally we'll lose some countries or we won't. And like the gravitas of that again is probably one of the reasons why i avoided books like this because i'm like just having to say a sentence like we'll lose some countries is just horrific to even talk about and it's heavy and like we already live in quite a heavy world where if you are living in a developed country it's so easy to bury your head in the sand and like i'm guilty of it too i've done that like Mm -hmm. i try to do what i can with the environment like on a personal level but in terms of educating myself not really done that in any way um But I think what I liked about this book was like from the outset, she was welcoming in the fact that she also said she was like, I think she called it a late bloomer. She was a late bloomer to the environment conversation that I was like, 
okay, I'm not the only one. And this is, was a leader of a country at one point. And yeah. she also didn't know like a lot about it. So everyone has to get to their own stage at whatever time. And I try not to be judgmental of other people not knowing things about like body positivity, for example, because like everyone will get to their own stage with it. But if we keep judging people and we keep shaming people, which is also why within the book, I was noticing the points when she was talking about um, the UN and the conversations and how bringing these people who are real life, like in their real life were affected by climate change, actually like soften the hearts. And it was like a twofold feeling because it was like, yeah, I get all that, how that feels in terms of like, I also was a, like just a little bit shut down from it. And actually, if you open your eyes a bit more then you're able to understand the severity of the issue. But then also like, and this is like almost hypocritical of me to say, but why should they have to open their eyes to it? It's like not their job. Yeah, yeah. I think that's that kind of holding a few people up and being like, you need to represent these kinds of countries and, and, and bring a tear to the eye so that people will act is quite, like you have to put, like if you don't pull enough heartstrings you won't create any change it's like why is it their job like they're the it's ones like children the in need on speed yeah and i was like and that's happening at the un like mm. i think as well i we didn't explain who mary robinson is mary robinson um, was the first president of ireland which we just discovered slash discussed it's very different from being a t-shock which is a whole i'm sure our irish viewers will educate you in the comments but she was the president of ireland for a while and she's very very well connected but like you said she didn't come to the climate conversation for a long time and now that seems to be all she's focused on. Yeah. Um, but I don't know, I think it's interesting because basically this book was commissioned because she's a name and she was like, I'd like to give some voices to some other people, but I don't know if I'd rather if this book have just been written by those other people. I don't know how you feel about that. It's like kind of like, oh, we need to listen to their voices, but then this book is actually written by her. I mean, that's the whole problem. <laughs> prob uh, that's the whole problem with the publishing model in general. Is like you're not actually going to the people who have the knowledge. You're going to the people who will sell the books so that you can point to the like where like people would go to the back of this book, for example, and then read books by actual experts. But then they would only find those books because they don't have the same profile as Mary Robinson does. Yeah, it's like whether this book exists within a fun funneling system or like a flow chart in the back of like a magazine where it's like, go here and then you can go here. And also again, you like have like a, a quote here and a quote here of a, like, of a stat and whatever and you can Google it yourself. Like, Yes, it's there is a certain element I think of like white marketing that goes with that. Would you say that's fair? I think, I think also like, I think if I try to dissect my own psychology of like why I stayed away from this conversation so long is I felt there's a level of like helplessness in the conversation, which I must say like this book didn't help because there was no section in the book, which was like, and here's what you can do. So like, yeah. to me, it's like a lot of heaviness with no solutions, which then mm -hmm. doesn't really empower you. Like, and so it's kind of like, okay, now go and go off and do your research and do like, and I understand that's like me also being lazy, but um, I think majority, I think you have to accept majority of humans are lazy. And so mm -hmm. even if it was a tiny chapter at the end of like bullet points you could do, like that, would end it on a note that actually like encourages people to take action and doesn't just left get 
and doesn't mean you just get left with this heavy feeling of like the world is going to burn to the ground and we're gonna have nothing left and just like that that feeling isn't very motivating and it sounds so silly to talk about like climate change and talk about like how you have to motivate someone but there's literally a sentence where she says this movement is not about making you feel guilty it's meant to make you feel inspired that we're all doing this together and that we're all just trying to do our best so she does acknowledge that um mm. and there's also a section where they talk about uh the un and how you talk in uh I, so so in this section they're talking about they just met in Copenhagen and that meeting um, had made Tong who was one of the stories within the book so the part of the book says Tong tried to understand how to broach the topic to a skeptical audience not only at home but also abroad I had to change how I was talking about the issue you don't listen to somebody who accuses you of doing the wrong thing I had to make other countries realize that it's not just my problem and it, their problem too whether they like it or not but even then it still took a long time to be heard and it's just like a sentence like that was just like god it's still about like phrasing it in the right way to be listened to, but yeah. then I'm guilty of it too, so. Yeah, it's hard. It's almost like, I, I kind of have joked on this series before that I'm just like, if you want to help the climate, climate, maybe train as a therapist. But I'm also like, maybe train as like an honest marketer. Because again, like I think there's, there, there's this human psychology of how to talk to people about it, but then also feeling like you shouldn't have to persuade people. I think there's a good quote that I pulled out that was like, um, this is an aid or charity in the fight to tackle climate change. It is enlightened self-interest, <laughs> which again is that skewing of like, cause you talk a lot about selfishness and joy and like actually be to be, to be, um, to help other people. You kind of have to be a bit selfish sometimes. And, and I wonder if there is like a self-interest to the climate that we're missing when we market it. Oh, a hundred percent. Like <laughs> you need to do this to stay alive. But the problem is we live in a world that like wants short-term gains and like who want that, who want those wins immediately. And because the win with climate change is not going to be short-term or any time in the recent, recent future, yeah. that's not even a term, um, it's not gonna be any time soon. It's the long-termness of it. Like, even if, if we take something as basic as diets, like, if you said to someone, you're gonna get this weight loss, but you have to wait a year. Like, no one does that. They want to take that <laughs> stupid diet pill, which is not going to work, but at least they're gonna get a quick win. And then it doesn't matter that they're gain, gonna gain it all back in a month. They care that they have the quick win now. Like, that is human psychology. And I think maybe yeah. we do need more psychologists within that conversation to be like, this is how you encourage people. This is how you inspire people. And this is just mm. from a like, how humans think perspective. Totally. I like that analogy with analogy with weight because I'm kind of like, what's the, so like switching your plastic straw for a paper straw is kind of like taking a laxative or like doing a 30 day shred. It's like, that's not going to help you. Or actually the good example is like, so that diet pill is going completely vegan a hundred percent overnight and deciding you're going to be vegan, cut out all meat. The sustainable thing would be let's cut down your meat by 50%, by 10%. Yeah. Like it was even, I remember someone said to me like, it's so stupid and I'm gonna sound really thick right now, but I'm gonna say it anyway. It never occurred to me to, so I'd heard the example of why don't you eat meat four times a week instead of seven times a week. Like I'd never heard of the example of why don't you put one breast of chicken in your meal instead of two breasts of chicken. 
And that's a good point. I'd never considered that. And I was like, that is even more realistic than like, and that's still reducing meat, but it's just reducing. You could eat it every single day if you want. You're just eating a smaller quantity or like mm. you substituting half a, like a half a chicken breast for broccoli instead or whatever it is. Um, mm. Those kind of conversations, I was like, see, if we didn't go so extreme with everything, we actually yeah. would have those conversations. How many people do you think could easily swap two chicken breasts for one chicken breast when they're eating a meal? Like almost everyone, like you would spread out the amount of meat you have for the week for the people who can't afford it. And like, that would make sense. You, you're like, fill the rest with pasta, fill the rest with broccoli, whatever you want. Mm. Um, or even just like, I remember I, I, went through a phase where I went vegan, but for like medical reasons, and I was drinking almond juice and I, uh, almond juice. <laughs> That's what it should be called. I was drinking, I don't think that would taste very good. I was drinking <laughs> almond milk and as I was pouring it, someone was like, you know, that's worse for the environment than normal, like regular milk. And I was like, I mean, that's not why I'm drinking it, but okay. And like, I was like, of course it's a minefield. You can't do anything right. And then like, yeah. What's worse is that almost, especially with vegans, they're worse to themselves. Like if you, mm. a lot of the vegan community go hardest on the people who are already trying to do somewhat. Yeah. And I'm like, if you're going to burn the people trying the best and like, usually it's often like the leaders of the community or the people who've like praised it and then they've realized it's not like working for their diet or it's not good working for their mentality and they dial back their veganism. And they get sent like proper hate and abuse because they're no longer sticking to it. But I was like, surely they're better than the person who has never even yeah. thought about their meat consumption. It's the, it's the human thing to like want to kick the person who's nearest to you. I, like I was reading the book and this, I feel like this isn't about the book. This is more the way I'm reading the book. Whereas I'm also getting more intimidated because every example in this book is, is from somebody who's exemplary because otherwise they wouldn't be in the book, right? So they're the people who have read about climate change, started a movement, started a, like some kind of industry or company or something that's gonna help. And then I'm reading the book and thinking, God, if I really cared, I'd start a movement. <laughs> or like, I'd, I'd found an organization, where's my charity? And making it this individual thing where it's like intimidating to even start because you're like, I want to, but that's not what the book's trying to do. And I guess also if I was going to look at the book in a different way, I'm like, this is a, lots of stories of people who have stayed in their field. They're talking about their country or their level of expertise like farming and they've stayed there. They haven't gone out to something that they didn't know about. So I guess, I don't know if there's something there to learn that's just kind of like, you don't need to go out and... I think when I read about those things, when, even when I read about like anyone starting a business, I just want to know like practically what was the first step? Because like when, mm. especially in the first story where she started a whole movement within her village, I was like, but how? Like how practically do you, and I think that's the part which like mm. always stops people from actually taking action. It's like, great, it's a wonderful idea to start a charity for climate change or whatever. How do you actually, like, do you establish a company online? Does it act like a company? Like, it's literally yeah. the minutiae that I always get hung up on. And so then like, or like, if you were trying to introduce recyc recycling in your neighborhood, for example, 
do you call the council? Do you call like who, do you get what I mean? Like in the book it says, her father's words proved seminal for Jani, who decided right then that she would pursue a higher education so that those in authority would engage and listen to her. I understand that the people who had all the vital knowledge, the Sami, my people were not heard because they were not well enough educated in the Western system. They had no voice, even though they had critical information. Like that just like, made me so sad but also just like it's so nonsensical that yeah. you have to be educated in a traditional system maybe i'm biased because like i'm not trained in traditional psychology or i'm partially trained i dropped out <laughs> well i didn't drop out i did my 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 uh, bsc and then i didn't go further but it's this idea that the traditional education system is the only education system that is valid or even trying to associate intelligence with qualifications and training when it's like they are living this every day. Surely they are the people to be listening to, but you want some letters after their name to convince you to listen to them. Like that to me just yeah. like made me so angry. It's like you don't need a geography degree to tell you that it's raining outside. If, if see, people can witness things and be like, it seems to be raining and everyone's like, no, 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 you wouldn't know anything about rain. <laughs> but also like, I don't know whether this is the wrong word, but like there seemed to be almost like a level of racism around indigenous people assuming that they're stupid. Like, yeah, and that again, they don't have qualifications, therefore they're stupid. They can't talk about this stuff. When yeah. like, you don't need to be educated on it to be able to talk about it. And I think this, it's almost like a version of gatekeeping of like, yeah. you don't know enough science to talk about it when actually like, and it's the same thing with someone making a comment about my almond milk or it's make, it's someone coming on my Instagram and going like, you do know that's fast fashion. And I'm like, okay, find me something in my size. Go, why don't you talk to the sustainable brands and ask them why they stop at a size 16? Like, why are you yeah. coming to me? I'm not the person who's decided that. Like, if I actually had sustainable shopping, do you, like, I would buy that if I could afford it. But you making this assumption for me that either I don't know because I'm stupid or I do know but don't care or that I, like, you've not thought about the other possibilities. One, I couldn't find something in my size. Two, that they don't do plus sizes. Three, that someone, like, not me in this circumstance, but someone might not be able to afford sustainable fashion because we have not given them the same options, especially within plus size or, like, in maternity, for example, as people who are straight size are. And it's almost like this self-fulfilling prophecy of, like, people who assume the whole world thinks like them. And then, yeah. and you learning a fact one day and then looking down on everyone who didn't know that fact tomorrow. Like, <laughs> yeah. It's, it's the kind of like insecurity that projects onto the people. It's like, just because you, you, I think there's probably just this whole thing where everybody is either judging themselves and not feeling invited to the party because they aren't qualified or people who have actually witnessed it, which is a form of qualification, I think. That's more important than that is, is actually having witnessed it and experiencing it and then not being invited, even though being a witness to something and experiencing something is a qualification, like it is. <laughs> so basically we, we all need to storm the party. <laughs> Is what I'm saying. There's going to be a massive party crashing thing here. But I also to. think it's what you said about the shame part, because if mm. you feel so judged about the environment, when you learn that tiny piece of information that makes you feel better than everyone else, and like, oh, I'm actually doing something, 
when someone is pouring the almond milk out and you know to drink oat milk instead of almond milk, like you are gonna be like, oh, did you know? And it's like, you might not <laughs> intend it in the way and you might not even know consciously you're doing it, but actually if you looked at the reason why you're doing it, it's because you also don't feel like you're doing enough and therefore you project it on everyone else. So like, weirdly, it's a level of like self-awareness and psychology that is involved in all of this and I don't think I actually realised it until I read this book. Yeah, but it's kind of about working out, because I, I think you're right, sometimes I think I've done that where I've just learned something about the climate and I'm like repressing it and I'm like, don't talk about the climate right now, don't ruin the party. And then there'll be a little valve, a moment where I could say something. And then suddenly it like all comes out at once in a really awkward way where I'm like, well, actually, did you know? And it's because I'm not regulating my own emotions around it. And I'm not fine. Like if, if there's a space where I don't feel comfortable talking about it, I need to go away and create that and like not just like project it at a time where nobody's in the mood to hear it. And, <laughs> and you know what? Sometimes you are in the mood to hear it. So I remember someone told me the other day that like avocados are the worst for the environment. I did not know that. Like I do, like to me, there would be no reason why I would know that. Like I didn't know that yeah. it's like devastating to the environment, but like I also assume because it's a food that a lot of people, especially in vegan and vegetarian communities eat, that if it was that awful with the environment, they wouldn't eat it. But then I'm like, maybe they don't know that information. Like, so it's it's a hard yeah. catch 22 because you do want to spread the information. But I also think you have to balance it with like doing your own action and then mm. informing everyone about it. And also like ultimately respecting the fact that if someone isn't ready, and I know this is so hard if you're so passionate about it, but like, if someone isn't ready to know, they're not ready to know. And like, the yeah. only thing I can compare it to, because I'm not well versed in environmental stuff, is like, when I first la learned about body positivity, I was like, oh my God, diets are like a trick. They're just trying to get you and capitalism and like, and I wanted to shove it down everyone's throat. Frankly, if no one's, if you're not interested, they'll take zero of it in. And also they'll yeah. start getting annoyed because they, you're talking about what you want to talk about all the time without actually like, whether they are interested or like and you think by like continually bringing it up that's going to create change but you're the one who wants to create the change in your own life so you need yes. to like have that excitement have that passion but fuel it into something that actually requires action and not just more conversations that indulge this illusion that we're doing something about it totally and you're right i think the times where i've like changed my mind is when I'm more like talking to a friend and I'm like, oh, what, what's going on with you? And they'll tell me something and there is something around something they've changed about their lives or something they've gone to. And it's part of the story of their week or their day. And it's not something where they're trying to tell me what's in their head. They're telling me the contents of their calendar or like, do you know what I mean? Like telling, and it, and it becoming a story rather than a, a preaching thing. It also reminds me of like, I think you talked about this in The Joy of Being Selfish or, or about, or maybe it was just something on Instagram. You have all your wisdoms coming over from other, all these different ways. I create um, too, many, like, too much content on too many platforms. It's a problem. Yeah. Something about like when, when you're trying, you can't just tell your friend to like leave a toxic person or like they're not going to listen the first time around. You don't like, it's not going to be something where you just tell somebody to and then they leave. It's, it's often when you're trapped in that cycle, you kind of have to come to it in your own, on your own terms and in your own way. And I guess that with the climate as well, it's not gonna be you who like says that thing and it's like, you need to leave fast fashion. 
he's a bitch. He's abusing you. So yeah, within that context, what one of the things I say a lot is like you, like, so if someone's dating someone horrible and you want them to leave, you being like, he's horrible, he's horrible, he's horrible, is not gonna do anything. And you being like, dump his, delete his number, all of that, doesn't really dump work. Dump his ass. Like, and also what usually happens is your friendship is the one that gets affected because like Ooh. they don't feel comfortable or safe now to tell you the honest truth. And actually, especially in an abusive relationship, that isolates them even, even further. How that would happen within like environmental conversations is I actually felt more distance from a friend. I went on a holiday for a week and every single thing I did was about the environment and it just shut me down. Like I would order steak on the menu and it would be like, oh, you know, actually steak is better. Like, oh no, I'd order fish. And it's like, you know, actually it's better for the environment to order steak than fish. And I was like, I just, I, and I have a thing around people commenting on my food choices because I have a disordered eating past. So I'm like, even if you'd said that, not in the context of me actually about to put food in my mouth, I would have maybe been more receptive, but it carried on for the whole week. And it didn't make me want to pick up an environment book, uh, an environmental book. Yeah. And so in that context, what you can do is go, oh, I'm actually really interested in the environment right now. I've been learning about it. I'm so passionate about it. And if you ever want to have a conversation about it, I'm your girl, like I'm learning all of this stuff. Do you want me to tell you anything? Do you want me to tell you about it? Or like, what's your relationship with the, your, the environment? Actually asking a question rather than just like, because when someone's passionate about a topic and they first learn about a topic, a lot of the time they talk at people and they're like, do you know this? Did you know this? Even if yeah. you just turned to your friend and went, have you ever read a climate change book? I'm reading one at the moment. And actually the number of interesting conversations I had because I was reading this book and like one of them was like with my boyfriend and I was like, oh, it's an interesting book, but like, I don't understand how like feminism comes into it. Um, and we hadn't, I mean, it's the reason he won Trivial Pursuit because he didn't know that Ireland had a president or only thought had, what, how, how do you A T-shock. He only thought it had a T-shock, not a president. And so it turned into an interesting conversation, but like, that's an easy way to bring it up. But as soon as someone's like shut down to it, stop the conversation. You're not making any progress by continuing to hammer at home. And it actually might feel, make someone feel more shame and more guilt, which like, especially around food choices, like you people don't have different relationships with food and mm. sometimes their mental health, sometimes their disordered eating is going to take a priority over their meat consumption or any of the other things. And so it's not always a viable option for everyone in the same way that it's not a viable option for everyone to shop sustainably because if they don't do your size, they don't do your size. Like you can't yeah. change that. So talk to the brands rather than talking to the individual who's already insecure about the fact they can't fit clothes and mm. who's already trying their best and already trying to do depop and all of these things but even trying to find plus sizes on depop or ebay or all of the second hand places are so difficult because thin people like to wear oversized clothes so <laughs> there are no options left for us so like i think it's just understanding that more human approach of like what if we looked at the world thinking everyone was trying their best rather than everyone's stupid everyone doesn't know what they're talking about and i know more than everyone else Mm, it's it's interesting because I like I always think like oh maybe the world is split into like people who think the world's getting worse and people who think the world's getting better and I've gone between those two things a lot but I think you're right in that sometimes there's people who care about the climate but they also think that 
everybody's out to get them and everybody is evil. So they're, do you know what I mean? And I think honestly, maybe a more optimistic mindset is like, everybody's trying their best. Like things are, things are getting better. Things will get better. People are doing what they can probably makes you a better communicator because I think people can almost sense when you're thinking the worst of them. Yeah, and I also think like you don't know what else is going on in their life. Like if someone is struggling to make ends meet, they're not thinking about their environment. The only reason a lot of these um, people are thinking about their environment is because it directly impacts them. So when you're living in a developed world, but you're still living under the poverty line, like it might not be your first thought. If you're in a toxic, abusive relationship, it might not be your first thought. Like, but looking at it from that compassionate lens actually thinking well the go-to assumption shouldn't be if you do nothing about it you therefore don't care like it can there's there's a spectrum and i was a person who cared i just probably like if i'm being fully honest probably like cared but wanted to be in denial because i knew if i read a book about it i'd have to care more like yeah and so (laughs) And I think, actually, that's probably the biggest section of the population, at least in the first world, where, like, people are just like, it's it's a lot, it's overwhelming, so shut down, like, let's not talk about it, and, like, let's pretend it doesn't exist. Yeah, and I think, as with lots of different kinds of worries and traumas and anxieties, putting it under the carpet only makes it mould and grow and, like, fester. <laughs> Which is why, like, I've enjoyed reading these books, because even though it's some of them are really stressful to read, like it almost feels weirdly calming because at least I'm facing it. Do you know what I mean? It's kind of like being a hoarder and, be- and going in and being like, okay, <laughs> I'm going to clean this corner. Yeah. So the only way I justified my guilt was I was like, I'm already doing as, without the knowledge, I was doing as mm-hmm. much as I humanly could within my realm or world and being conscious of the environment. So like trying to recycle as much as possible, trying to, And I was taking the action part. So I was like, the knowledge doesn't really matter because I know it's not good (laughs) right now. (laughs) And I know it's not getting better. So like, that's all the knowledge I need to know now without like it overwhelming me. But what I can do is like the day to day, like, do I really need another outfit? Or can I wear something I already have? Or like, Mm. can I find this second hand? And if I can't find this second hand, don't beat myself up because actually I've already like done this and done that and or let's, or the chicken breast thing, like that actually is a thing that I practically put in my life. Um, Mm. And those things I, sort of made me feel better about the fact that I wasn't very educated on climate change was I was like well at least I'm aware of it and taking action but do I really actually need to know the specifics of when we're all gonna die (laughs) like (laughs) do I need in graphic detail I think as well as also different kinds of education because people think a lot about like like those big picture really scary things but you could also just go and educate yourself and read about like um or like like I said like which which fruits are better and less imported from different places or like how you can be more effective within what you're already doing rather than like research doesn't always have to be about the big scary so that was another thing i learned recently which like i learn all of these things because i've never read a climate change book i've learned all of these things through someone mentioning in a conversation so i'm not diminishing Mm. like all the random mentions about the environment but one of the things i've never thought about is like look at where the 
fruit is actually from or look at where the vegetables are actually from and yeah. shop locally and I was like never thought about that or like it's even better to not shop in a supermarket like never thought about that those are things which like if we stop being so judgmental and shame ridden we could actually have those conversations a bit more like yeah. it sounds stupid but the chicken breast thing blew my mind and I was like <laughs> I have never considered that and it's like yeah. so obvious yeah and and also if I said I was going to cut out meat on a Tuesday like eat meat on a Monday and cut out meat on a Tuesday or I was going to say I'm going to have meat on Monday and Tuesday but I'm just going to have one breast on Monday and one breast on Tuesday and not two breasts yeah. on Monday like it's the same thing just like it's a different <laughs> option and it blew my mind that I was like never thought about that so like I was making yeah. something the other day and I was like oh I can actually put tofu like in half of this instead of and I was like it's it's just different people work in different ways and when you give people options then they actually have something to choose between but if you make it for difficult for people there's a thing within psychology I talk about which is like activation energy it's the amount of energy to actually make the change and it's not the change itself Ooh. so it's like for you to go to the gym, you need to get your trainers together, get dressed. So if you actually put your trainers by the door and you put your like outfit ready, the activation energy required to even make it to the gym, or like you, if you actually are a member of a gym four minutes away rather than 20 minutes away, the activation energy is less. Think about that in terms of the environment. How much easier so would it be if we lowered the activation energy around recycling so that recycling was actually the easiest option and not mm. recycling was the hardest option. That would be like, then you're capturing the whole audience that the group of the population that's supposed to exist that truly don't care. You're still capturing them because those people who truly don't care about the environment still want to eat, live an easy life as most humans do. So they will choose the easier option. That's so interesting because, I mean, not to make this about bins, but <laughs> my council at the moment, because I'm assuming because lots of people weren't using their food waste bin, um, they are just saying that they're only going to collect our general waste every three weeks. And they literally put a leaflet through our door that was like, if you don't want your bin to smell, maybe use your food waste recycling. <laughs> and it was basically just like, we're only going to collect it every three weeks. So good luck. <laughs> Hope you're recycling. <laughs> That's um, so smart so, because actually I, I know the opposite. They make it really hard for us to recycle in my building, and like oh, that's really? a building thing more than a like the mm, council thing. Flats, yeah. But like you make it difficult to recycle. That's a lot of motivation to not recycle. Yeah, I almost think like when it comes to, like activism, activism can go come to more like. Uh, eradicating the friction for other people to act because I think you're right a lot of people do feel like they want to act but instead of having like a shaming conversation with like all of your friends look at ways that it can become easier and um yeah I don't know you're giving me lots of thoughts this is really really interesting um would you recommend this book to somebody this yes is the I, I think this you is would a, I okay. would yeah yeah because I think it, it's a it's ultimately person-based like it feels mm. like a very personal book and like if especially if you are in the group that truly don't care which I would not have placed myself in that group this book does is quite good at making you care um for yeah. me it did have like interesting enough thoughts and I must say it being a short book like it's probably the shortest book I've read in the last like five years like so the fact that it 
if I look at it from like a time and energy perspective of like how much time did reading this book take? How much energy did it take to read this book? And then also, have I learned anything as a result? I think if I read any book and I take away anything from it, it's worth, it's worth that read. Even if I hate like 90% of the book and I take away 10% that I'm actually going to do something about or remember, then I think it's worth it because I don't have, I have a very like, take what resonates, leave the rest mentality. Mm. But I must say the, the thing, the thought I had when I finished the book was, so it talks a lot about mission 2020 and it's obviously 2022. <laughs> so I Googled it and I couldn't find it anywhere. Like I literally, I was, I went oh, really? through three pages and I was like, did we meet 2020? Cause I'm assuming <laughs> we didn't. So did Are they we just, already dead? To the point I typed in mission 2020 and it kept coming up with vision 2020. And I was like, and I was like, I have no clue what vision 2020 is that I was like, so was this publicized as much as it's spoken about, like spoken about in the book. And also when we didn't meet the goal, cause I assume we haven't, did it just get like wiped off? Maybe. <laughs> if I find the answer to that question, I'll put it in the description so you can find out because that is a great question. And I also was avoiding Googling that when I was reading it. And now you're making me remember that I should have Googled it because I don't, also don't know. I'm assuming things haven't gone that well. I know that like there's lots of ways that things are getting better. And there was a lot of like positive facts at the end of the book about things plateauing and less carbon. So for context, so, mission 2020 was to get it under 1.5%, well, 1.5 degrees, wasn't it? I think so, yeah, that's not, that's not happened. That's I could not happened. find, uh, maybe I was, I, I must say I did it on my phone and I did it like a bit haphazardly on a train, but like, yeah, yeah, it should be very easy to find and it should have been the top link. So I'm assuming it's a no. <laughs> yeah. Goody. Yeah, I think it's interesting this is the first climate book you've read because I think there are loads of better ones out there. So I'm like, I'm in some ways I'm like, no, I don't want this to be the first one. But then I'm also excited that you would recommend it to people because like, I think there are like, what one thing I think is really good about it is that it's, it's got a non-Western perspective when you're actually hearing the quotes of people from non-Western non countries. It's obviously through a Western lens because she is Irish and some of the ways that we were talking about, I think there is like a kind of like uh, showcasing lens to it that I wasn't completely a fan of, but I do like the kind of variety of different ways that it's shown that people have taken action that were really different. Uh, so I liked that. And I think that it did have a positive spin at the end, but like you said, I think what's like, when, when you read The Joy of Being Selfish, you'll see that Michelle has a very practical way of explaining things and you even give like text templates to set boundaries to the people. And like here's, like, here's literally what you can say. Because I say when I'm writing a book, in a lot of author talks, I say, if you end a book and you go, okay, what do I do now? then it's not a good non-fiction book. <laughs> and, <laughs> so I will say yeah. this is the best uh, climate change book I've read. It is also by default <laughs> the worst climate change book I've read. And I would recommend 
recommend it because it's the only change book I've read. I also accept I have a very low bar. I think since becoming an author, I have set the bar very low on what I would recommend to others simply because mm-hmm. I hate people disliking my book. And so I don't <laughs> like judging other authors. And so I'm like, that's fair. if you can learn anything from, that's how low my bar is. I'm like, if you can learn anything from a book or you remember anything from a book, it's a good book. But only because like I read about a hundred books a year and there are books I genuinely don't remember anything from the book and I'm like so that's my barometer so take that recommendation with that all in mind yeah and I I think as well like another interesting thing you were saying was it wasn't so much the book but it was the fact that you were reading the book and then you were having conversations with people because you were reading the book I think that's the power of books it's like it's not it's not everybody doesn't Everybody doesn't need to read all the climate books, but some of us reading some of them creates this exponential conversation that you can just keep rolling with. And I think, and I think from a life coach perspective, like I am a person who's like, praise yourself for the low bar. Like I, I don't like this <laughs> mentality online of like bare minimum, that's bare minimum. You read one climate change book, woohoo, bare minimum. That doesn't create change. And so I'm a person who's like, praise yourself for the bare minimum. My bare minimum was I read one climate change book. And you know what? I was actually proud of myself that not only did I read the book, but I actually had thoughts about the book. And as a dyslexic person who really struggled in English class, I was like, I actually have original, well, not original thoughts because original thoughts don't exist, but like I had interesting things that I wanted to either know more about, explore Mm. further. And so like, it almost felt like a starter book where it was like, and I think maybe that's why it's, it's good for a first time newbie to not feel like the world is ending even though it slightly has that message in there, but like to be like, okay, this is the start. But I think it shocked me, and this is really bad, but I'm quite honest and I don't care if you judge me, but like, (laughs) I think it shocked me how much I enjoyed reading it. Like, and I just thought like, I think the problem is when you're dyslexic, when you've grown up in school, and I know I'm blaming dyslexia a lot, but like, this is genuinely my reality. Like if you grew, grew up in school and you were taught you were stupid over and over again for not having interesting thoughts about Tess of the D'Urbervilles or like Macbeth and that you didn't sit there and like enjoy, oh, what was the other one that someone was talking about the other day? The one um, that's meant to be the funniest book in like the funniest book ever written. Was it Oscar Wilde? Oh, was it The Importance of Being Earnest? Yeah. Someone said to me, that's yeah. the funniest book ever written. And I was like, mm. we read very different books. <laughs> like, <laughs> I was like, I would say like, I don't know, the funniest book I ever read was like The Couple by Heli Acton, which is like contemporary fiction, a very easy read to book. Like yeah. to me, that's like the funniest book I ever read. But when that kind of thing, it's very easy then to like, I stopped reading, I mean, this is awful considering I'm an author now, but I stopped reading between the ages of 15 and 20 because everyone kept telling me I wasn't reading for my age range and I was enjoying much younger books. And so as a result, I always felt stupid reading. And now as an adult and from since being 20, so I started reading again, but in a very narrow niche of I love psychology books, I know nonfiction, and I had to baby step it into fiction again. Yeah, so then the first fiction book I read was maybe three years ago was How Do You Like Me Now by Holly Bourne, only because she was a young adult author originally. Like, that's how slow it's had to be for me to not feel stupid while reading, that I was not going to pick up a highly academic book 
and a lot of climate change books are like that or even a book about climate change and so like you can judge me all you want but that's the reality of a lot of people who are overwhelmed by climate change totally and i think it's that you're like saying like removing the judgment is like part of that and it's like i feel like what we're learning is low bar or praise yourself for there even being a bar <laughs> baby steps kindness and also actually if i'm gonna try and bring this full circle the definition that she uses for climate justice and what climate justice is rather than like climate action is um, climate justice is putting people at the heart of the solution so i think sometimes when you're not thinking about the people that you're talking to and you're not being like it's the people first (laughs) everything else second um then it it can go awry um but this conversation did not go awry this was really really fun thank you so much for chatting to me this was so great thank you so much for opening my eyes and my world to climate change in general okay me me alone you alone you alone alone. genuinely you gave me the motivation you lowered Uh, my activation energy well maybe we can persuade you to read another one i think maybe a fiction one yeah i think we need to chill on the facts go with the characters go with the felix wonderful um where can people find you if they want to hear more of your brilliant wisdom so i'm at scar not scared on most things instagram tiktok those kind of things and uh, my podcast is called in all honesty and my books are called am i ugly and the joy of being selfish what a reading list you're sorted (laughs) i actually would recommend like serving suggestion like climate book and then also one of michelle's books like as a little sandwich together you need that's a healthy diet choose one thing that you're gonna do today that's like that's the main thing it's like yeah bite size it one thing that's it yeah low bar low bar (laughs) and praise yourself for it exactly brilliant thank you so much for watching if you'd like to watch more videos in this series you can watch those here next time we are reading this book with this person i've been lena norms this has been michelle elman and we're very grateful that you joined us here on this non-book book club (laughs) bye frogs frogs dug out